Okay, all right, all right, okay. This is your host, Kevin Pollock. Welcome you back to part two of my Mrs. Maisel Pod, episode 21, part two with Katrina Link. Sorry again for the abrupt way we ended uh, part one, but uh, thank you for all your emails. Thank you for writing into my Mrs. Maisel Pod at gmail.com, letting me know that it's okay and your comment on social medias. Comments have been uh, much appreciated. I will read one of your emails uh, at the end of this ep- episode, here, uh, 21 Part 2. But uh, how have you been? Did you have a good week? What what transpired for you uh, from last uh, time you listened to an episode? Maybe you listened to that episode an hour ago. Uh, far be it for me to presume like an idiot. Um, so, yeah. Part two, we pick up where we left off as Katrina Lank, Tony Award winner, and I are breaking down the season one opener. Nope. (laughs) Episode one of season three. Season three, episode one, season three opener. That's it. Um, Yeah, it was a blast talking to her, as you could tell from part one, I'm sure. A little less interrupting with my own stories, hopefully. (laughs) <laughs> in part two, um, I uh, I enjoyed a few tangents there in, in part one, but uh, so yeah, thank you for your uh, pa- uh, patience and indulgence. Season three opener with Katrina Lank uh, continues here in part two. Please enjoy. Okay, so Mitch goes on and she kills. <clears throat> they love her. Her stand-up act once again seems to be talking about what's happening right now. And yet these are jokes a comedian could have written knowing they were going to perform for 980 uh, soldiers. Like, I, you're so brave. I don't know how you wear the same thing every day. You know, that that's sort of, I could never <laughs> wear the same thing every day. That sort of also uh... is in just in step with a great, carefully written act for and but just delivered by the one of a kind Rachel Brosnahan who will be the first to tell you I don't know how well you know Rachel she is not funny I'm quoting her she she gets funny she understands funny she can deliver funny like a genius she isn't a funny thinking person you know how you, you get around uh, huh. a comedian or natural born ham comedically who just needs, <laughs> there's no off switch, as I said. And for, for yeah, Rachel, yeah. speaking more to her, her absolute expertise at dramatic acting, she's able to be so mm-hmm. present in these monologues when her mm-hmm. character is doing stand-up that you would think this has to be one of the funniest people who's ever lived. Um, and she'll be the first to tell you not, not at all. No, I mean, she doesn't, she's not a dour person in any way, shape or form. She's just not a natural born comedic ham the way funny people are, you know? Um, it's, it's just kind of hmm. extraordinary. Yeah. Well, you hmm. sound a little, su- yeah, it's kind of hard to wrap you your sound head surprised around. And I love that. Cause it does speak yeah. more to just how yeah. genius she is. And I'm not, yeah. I, I really am saying yeah. she'll be the first to tell you because I've heard her say it so many times when people compliment her hmm. and 
and we've done a couple of live performances together. And the first one happened because my agent called and said, there's this big function. And they, they tried to hire Rachel to do stand up for this big fundraiser for a lot of money, but she's refusing to do it because she's not funny. She's not just not a stand-up. She wouldn't even wouldn't know the first thing. So, anyways, Kevin, we got they reached out to us to hire you to open up for her, actually do stand-up, and then the two of you will do a little sit-down Q and A where you can continue to be the funny one, but you can pose questions at her that will allow her to be, you know, her charming self, which is pretty yeah pretty easy yeah, and it was hilarious. And to hear her tell the story of how much fun it was for her to watch me do stand-up and then sit down <laughs> and just talk, the two of us, like we would on the set, waiting for the shot to be set up, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But it was it's, it's sort of this running joke between us that I had to be hired so that she could perform... At a, at a function when they just wanted her to perform. It's almost like, why why do we have to add him? You know, sort of thing. Well, <laughs> it's because uh, you'll see. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was great. I'm sure you had everybody in stitches. Well, in I don't stitches. have a choice. It's I've been doing it too long. If I, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't by chance that I ended up getting this call they were just so relieved that someone else in the cast of the show, you know, this function is yeah, yeah. fundraising. They're selling all these very expensive tickets based on, because the audience mm -hmm. is Jews who, who uh, very much love the Marvelous Mrs. Maid. Um, anywho. Yeah. So let's get someone from the cast. Oh, there is an actual comedian on the show. Okay, great. Yeah. Let's get him. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, she really does great performing, and then she introduces Shy, which was part of her function at this big USO show, and he takes the stage, and Leroy just it, oh, it, so good, yeah, an angel from heaven. And you, you really—I mean, I forget that it's not now. Like there's, he's capturing that, that style of that era so mm -hmm. beautifully and like effortlessly that I, I just, I, he's just, I, you just think, yeah. assume he's shy Baldwin from the, I mean, I guess that's because I turn into a baby when I watch <laughs> this show, but just, it's just so I love good. that analogy. Really captures that whole I love era. that analogy you've come up with. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he's got these three singers, Martha, Didi, and Don. Um, that for a little while we're singing on stage themselves and they're exceptional. I don't want to leave them out of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. truly, truly, truly great. Um, let's see. Then we're off to the Maisel and Roth office where Shirley, Ethan, Joel, and Moish. Shirley's gushing to little Ethan about their new home in Forest Hills and Moish announces it's got a tree. Man's not a man until he's got a tree. Uh, yikes. And then next Moish tells Joel that his button man is moving out finally. And that this may be the perfect location for Joel's new club. 
the introduction to Joel's Brave New World. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, in season one, of course, the Joel character is the villain. In season two, they do a pretty great <clears throat> job at at making him at least appear as a man who wants to do better. Yeah. And we start yeah. rooting for him. And then this Dr. Benjamin is introduced. And now it's a, are you in the Benjamin camp or the Joel right. camp? And And then it ends with, Season two right. ends with Midge getting this opportunity to go on the road with Shia Baldwin right at the same time that she's talking marriage to Dr. Benjamin and in an instant leaves him behind and goes to Joel and says, I've just changed my life forever. I'm, I'm going on the road. And oh, by the way, I don't, I just want to be with someone who loves me. That's how season two ends, right? And that's why they're in bed at the yeah. beginning of season three. Mm -hmm. So we're we're invested in what is the continuation of of Joel's life as well. And so from a writer's standpoint, I'm always sort of stepping back and trying to delve in. The idea that he would then go off and start his own club, which is sort of established at the end of season two, that that's what he wants to do when he and Archie are hitting baseballs out in the open field, drinking beers. And it ends with him saying, you know, I think I'm going to open a club. And so now here we are, his father may have found a venue. And his first reaction is, I don't want any part of your schemes, dad. I do like that. I do like yeah. that. Uh, back to the hangar show. Shy singing a night in Barclay Square. Oh. Place goes bananas. Um, yeah, there, there. I met the uh, singer who, who sings these actual songs for the show while Leroy geniusly oh. lip syncs. Yeah. Oh. Let's burst that little bubble. That's how good. Well, that's incredible that's too. Good wow. in a different way. Leroy actually yeah. is than you might've thought. That is no small. Yeah. Beat. I'm going to put that, that singer's name and in the wraparound because I don't have it in front of me because I didn't know I was okay. going to say this. Damn it. But yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I, I feel like I want to point wow. out just how Gene Leroy is yeah. um, at this. Uh, and so then afterwards off stage, Susie meets Shy for the first time and is very nervous around him. The way she was very nervous around Lenny earlier in the show. She gets around other extraordinarily mm. great made, made talents mm -hmm. and she really becomes a nervous Millie. It so really cute. is adorable. <laughs> and it's a side of this character, Susie, we we, we almost never that. see. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we meet what is introduced as Shy's manager, Lou, a wonderful uh, older Jew who, and I don't know, it just suddenly makes sense. Oh, right, of course, we got to meet the Jew manager. Um, We'll find out more about that later. Uh, Maislin Roth office again. Joel takes a call from Midge, who needs to tell him, but also apologizes about sneaking out the other night after they, yeah, you know, she struggles. She's struggling with this. Um, how she mm -hmm. noticed that he didn't call. This part of their relationship, and again, the writing is just so 
woman and man on again, off again, but also the same way you'd be speaking if you were newly dating, right? Yeah. That whole dishwasher argument they get into is so good. All right. <laughs> she tries to do like an analogy, compares something to like if a dishwasher repairman came to your house, he would call, he would check in. He would call to check in that the dishwasher's okay. And then they go on this whole argument about whether or not that would actually happen. And they start arguing about this thing that has nothing to do with what they're talking about, but then it does. It's right. So good. That relationship stuff, you forget just how good they are oh, at writing. Yeah. So good. Mm -hmm. And also Joel's stance of <laughs> listening to her say the the dishwasher repairman would call the next mm -hmm. day and, and see how things yeah. were going. And Joel's position is, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> They're both so invested in these the details. details of the analogy that's not real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So passionate. This uh. would speak. And I love too that like what you were saying earlier that it's kind of like her seems like Midge is struggling with being the Midge that's following her dream now and the Midge that had the dream earlier of the being the how, the perfect yes. housewife and it, she's kind of coming up like facing that in yes. that phone call in a way too. So good. Yeah. Oh. Um they all sing the final sh the show the show's finale <laughs> white christmas and we really see why midge was a little apprehensive she really yeah. doesn't know it have you have you been in a group <laughs> sing situation where you didn't know the yeah yes i, I won't say when and where <laughs> yeah but yes you really try to look like you're those yeah. words i'll bust myself mm -hmm. so every year uh there is this great fundraiser weekend in kansas city for children's mercy hospital uh because uh paul rudd rob riggle jason sudeikis dave keckner and eric stone street all five are from kansas city and they bring out 30 celebrities or so, and there are all these various events through the weekend, and we raise millions of dollars for Children's Mercy Hospital where no families have to pay for cancer or leukemia treatment for their children. And it's kind of amazing. Um, but one of the functions we go to is we play a softball game on the actual Kansas City Royals field for a couple of innings before they play, the Royals play a real game. So then we stick around and we watch the real game from our little private area at the ballpark. And then there's the seventh inning stretch where they sing, take me out to the ballpark. Now I'm a casual baseball <laughs> fan at best, but, but 30 of mm. us go out on the field to sing this song. And maybe six of us are holding microphones, but we are, we are passionately loudly singing. Well, I say we, cause I mean everyone, but me. I am mouthing what I think mm, the words yeah. might. <laughs> I mean, after take me out to the ball game, take me out to the crowd. <laughs> Buy me Crack. some peanuts. Buy some. Crack peanuts or Jack. Crack or Jacks. Yeah, man, mm -hmm. they come back. 
home team yeah you're reenacting my performance every year in this moment and it's every year you have time well it's on me to care basis but we look next to me and i'm always entertained by whoever is standing next to me because we run out differently every year and it's always someone different and they just look over at some point in utter disbelief how do you not know this and why are you so loud for someone who doesn't know what they're singing because i do hit those words that you just hit very very loudly (laughs) and the rest i'm lip syncing yep um so they're performing why christmas and it's hilarious that she doesn't know and then she's off the stage she's asked to sign a few autographs from soldiers and then the fateful photo in the Jeep. Um, oh, dear. Yeah. Yes. And it's all done so innocently. She jumps into the Jeep with a couple of soldiers and they're gathering around for the photo. And it's the house photographer who I mentioned earlier. We're talking about him again, as I threatened. And he's going to take two shots, thankfully. The first one, though, a gust of wind comes up and as does her skirt. And um, we see a uh, 1959 version of ladies underwear. And uh, and then that second photo was taken. And unfortunately, that first one's going to make the rounds. I feel like, yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sergeant Burns reappears and lets Midge and Susie know that it's expected and appreciated that Midge attend the dance with the soldiers later. That seems like a very awkward situation. But Midge mm-hmm. proves to be a trooper, pun intended, and just needs to go home and change outfits, which, again, is just so perfect. Um, also perfect to figure out how in the writer's room, how do we get Midge back home for this next scene that is the, <laughs> the knockdown drag out between Abe and Rose? <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, before we get to that, I do want to point out that there is a phone call Susie takes from Sophie Lennon. Oh, no, this is and so the good, Jane too. Lynch performance oh. in that <laughs> tiny studio because Susie made Sophie go below 14th Street. And, and it's so early in their relationship oh, of Sophie God. representing her. Uh, Suji, Susie representing Sophie, that Sophie oh. is is laying some groundwork and some rules uh, for their future together. And then Brian Tarantino standing there in the fur. <laughs> and even when he starts to answer a question, she says, never speak. Never speak again. <laughs> right? And she, she says Too it's much. so matter-of-factly. And yeah. and of course he yeah. reacts the same way we we want him to, which is to shut down. He's not mm-hmm. gonna speak again until he says it's cold. <laughs> and then she right. agrees with him. It is cold. Again, in it is here. cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Too much. I can't take another her. clinic take put on by good. Jane Lynch in mm-hmm. comedy acting. <laughs> and then we're off to the Weissman apartment for such, you know, uh, as a writer, one of the things I will tell you and insist, and all writers, I think, will agree, 
exposition is the villain in the in the story in the effort so how do i seem make it non present right how do my actors catch up the audience with information they need without it seeming and for as an actress do you how do you mm face what you know is exposition do you make certain decisions or yeah yeah you got it like why am i restating this information that i already know to this other person like you know why am i saying it what am i trying to accomplish by saying these things um sometimes it's yeah. harder than others but yeah these writers do such an incredible job of just it feels so sounds like a cliche word but organic to the scene it's about like what's happening in the scene and their relationship it is a, and then you just you hang on you're just like on for the ride and that they're gonna drag they're gonna pull you and you just yeah. have to go with them also make it so yeah. surprising mm. to one of the characters mm. that we get to instantly live mm -hmm. vicariously through poor abe who's being instructed by oh yeah by suddenly powerful <laughs> rose saying if not for my trust fund we have oh, nothing. Oh, yeah. Who do you think pays Zelda? I do. I write her the $30 check. And then I give her the other third. And this is just brain breaking for Abe. All of it. And yeah. Oh, my God. Their relationship is too good. And especially, she's sort of changed since they've gotten back from their Paris yeah. trip. Oh, yeah. She's sort of just very subtly become this, she's kind of standing in her own power, so to speak, or something like that. She, she feels elevated. Well, there's a, in a journey. That um, she's aware. Yeah. So she's now this kind of new Rose and he's also this new Abe, but they're, and it's just so fun to watch yeah. them navigate this in their relationship. <laughs> we talked a little bit about on the podcast over time that um, while seeking her own independence, Midge has inadvertently forced her parents to also seek their independence mm. in their own ways that also empowers them. Mm -hmm. And the struggle becomes the, the, the necessary and eventful part of the, their path. It's yeah. kind of delicious. Again, this big overview stuff, stepping back. But it, but in yeah, the moment, these yeah. two great actors are killing this scene and making it again the <sighs> snappy, the timing, the pacing, the, yeah. the banter. The, you're not sure who's more delicious in the scene because they both are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Mary. Ah, and then Abe's tantrum. When did <laughs> I become? When did I be? Why do I have all these yeah, rooms? That I need a <laughs> Zelda. That I need all these rooms. That I need, that we need, that our daughter needs this room with all these dresses. Mm -hmm. And that I have two sweaters. Who when wears two sweaters. Wears it's so good sweaters? that it's, it's talked about later. <laughs> Someone yes. throws it in this. Oh, uh, uh, yes. The cop, the cop when, when he goes cop? to see Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I think Lenny might even be the one who says it. Yeah. Oh, is it? You're going to take this oh, from maybe. a guy who's wearing two sweaters? Yeah. Oh, um, right. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Delicious, delicious, delicious scene. Um, So, yeah, we need Midge to come back. And she comes back and finds a couple of dresses on the floor. It's why she came back to get a new outfit. And then she has this incredible mm -hmm. sort of breakdown and a bit of a come to Jesus to them. Um, about how about how dare yeah. you to suggest I've ruined your lives, or you know, it's kind of kind of beautiful. Yeah. She totally speaks back to them and like calling them out for their. She becomes the parent. I yeah. guess judgment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he listens, which is the sweetest thing. He listens and then actually does something about they it. They write to like every he... character's intelligence. That's the other thing that mm -hmm. needs to be noted. We, do, we don't have a yeah. dumb, dumb fall guy. And, and every true. show does. <laughs> um, because it's it's helpful when when writing many characters it's incredibly helpful to have a dumb dumb falga uh and so you should know listener hard to write to everyone's intelligence while letting them act the fool which is what abe goes through in this scene and then i'm so glad you pointed out he actually listens to it yeah Back to the new button club, Joel, Archie, and Asian Gambler. As Joel and Archie are enjoying Joel's new club, Archie aptly names the button club in that moment. And then a crazed, angry man flees through a door near the back of the stage, yelling what we can only assume are obscenities in his spoken language. Joel and Archie naturally need to know more about this mystery door that the yelling man came through. And we cut to the what's beyond the mystery door as they descend some stairs. Even the tiling, the ceiling of this dark, yeah. smoky gambling den is perfect. As Joel and Archie and assorted gamblers are seen. Also, I love the 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 noise, right? Yes. And how it yep. instantly stops in unison when enough mm -hmm. of them notice the two these fellas do not fit standing on the stairs. And then the choice, you know, what do you do with this stand? -up? Where does the scene go next? Well, the two Caucasians slowly step back up the stairs. There's no conversation. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so yeah. uh, and then sure enough they're right back to their gambling yeah mm -hmm. they don't ask questions mm -hmm. either which is yeah. what happens in the next scene when stephanie oh she's so wonderful as may stephanie yeah. shoe so uh. great uh joel and archie are wrapping their brains around what they just saw a young woman um Seemingly Chinese, certainly, but speaking the kings as if she came up through possibly both the finest of culture and education as well as the mean streets. She is a pistol. This is one savvy uh, person and, and needs Joel to stand down with all the questions. 
And it beautifully ends with, leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. But man, oh man, is she more mysterious and interesting and compelling than that gambling den, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that rapid fire dialogue in there yeah. too is so good. She handles it so well. Like, ah, just off the cuff as if it's all just, they're acting. Just comes, it just comes yeah. tumbling out. Who, like it's, who thinks it, and speaks yeah. this quickly? Yeah. Mm. Um, and then we go to the nightclub at the front door. Abe enters. Is this where I see Lenny Bruce <laughs> or something to that effect? <laughs> and the doorman explains the two drink minimum and so on. And Abe takes his seat. Lenny's introduced. He is loved. And, um, he gets, you know, great laughs while ripping apart the bourgeois ideals of decency in our puritanical and hypocritical society, as only he can. And Abe, they keep cutting to Abe and listening intently, not smiling or laughing or enjoying himself, as one, as one might at mm -hmm. a comedy club, but taking it in as a Columbia professor almost. Right. Yeah. Uh, until two cops show up, and we know what's coming, and so does Lenny. Abe, however, will not stand for this, though he will literally stand up and make it clear that he's not in favor of what's happening. We have the "this is a man wearing two sweaters" comment, and then he's arrested <laughs> along with Lenny. And in this great jump cut, it's a picture of Abe sitting in a New York City precinct lockup cell. <laughs> and, you know, you just, you just want, wait, what? How, you know, we're, 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 he's not saying anything, but we are inside his thoughts. And it's mm -hmm. just what his face tells us. How did this happen? Was that a cat I just saw pass mm -hmm. behind you? Possibly. Oh, probably. There's two that live here, oh, so there it's are possible. Two here as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's there's Andy, and Halston. We lost we lost Edie, Cute. but you you see the connection. I think hopefully, it's the Andy mm -hmm. Warhol universe. Mm -hmm. First was Edie, named after mm -hmm. Edie Sedgwick, and then Andy, and then we this new one is Halston, and she's um, she's 100 percent fluff. Not terribly bright, but we'll hope she'll grow into that. With Abe. I think she will. Sometimes sure. they're slow bloomers. Uh-huh. Late bloomers, I mean. Austin. Yeah. Austin. <clears throat> See if I can't get a cameo from the tuxedoed. Oh. Also makes mm -hmm. sense that Halston would be over overdressed for every yep. every occasion. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh so in the precinct in the lockup, Abe, we see that someone's lying in the cell behind him. And sure enough, it's Lenny. Um, it's so great that he's lying comfortably, instantly establishing. Yeah. This is what happens, man. This is. Uh, he's yeah. been there before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty. I, I couldn't help myself but to remember. Because. I'm basically the sun and the rest of you are mere planets revolving around me. But in the usual suspects, there's a lockup scene 
and 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 later in the script it says that um kaiser soze being interviewed well it's verbal kent but he says um you can always tell the guilty party because he's the one that's sleeping in a lockup not so much in the lineup but in a lockup he's he's sleeping because mm. he knows he's been caught and the, the alert mm. people are the ones who are trying to figure out why am i here i hope i don't get found guilty of something i didn't do and um and later we find out in that movie my character was guilty of what these people had been arrested for um and so i chose to lie down in that scene so I, it's always forever in my mind as a, when I'm watching everything else that takes place in a lockup situation, who's lying down, who's, you know. Yeah, sure enough, interesting. Here's Lenny huh. incredibly comfortable with the fact that he has been found guilty. Uh, in his case, um, the, a, an absolute sham of a law, if there is one. But he he's not sweating it. Uh, a nope. on the other hand is not oh, comfortable. How great is Luke Kirby? Should we, should we take a moment? I mean, I mean, similarly to how I feel when watching Leroy McLean, it feels like this person is from this. It, it, this is this person from this era. Yeah. And, uh, 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 yeah. What? <laughs> well, don't. Just don't incredible. take it too personally but they're <clears throat> Amy and dan's genius in writing carries over to their genius in casting they do mm. have an extraordinary near unparalleled knack over these five seasons to cast just gems every which way it's do you know i was wondering if when we hear lenny bruce's stand up is it based on actual stand-up that he did at times it's it... verbatim at the end of season well, two he verbatim. does this appearance on steve allen where he sings all alone uh, and there's a youtube video of that exact appearance that it's fun to watch it's fun to watch okay. the youtube okay real and then the scene that luke does because it's kind of verbatim they're they're not all like that but but many of them are from his actual act um, I believe oh, the okay. showing the child the stag film. Just love that term. It's so dated. Um, mm -hmm. I believe that is definitely from his act. Yeah. Okay. Oh, That's so good. My. Yes. Yeah, and 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 mesmerizing and compelling. You're not mm -hmm. watching someone do an mm -hmm. impersonation in any way, shape, or form. No. Yeah. Oh, Luke Kirby, one of the great Canadian Jews. <laughs> yeah, he approved He approved so the following Canadian joke of mine. I don't know if you've shot or worked a bunch in Canada, know much about the Canadian people. They are overly mm -hmm. polite and wonderfully nice. Yeah, that I do. So the, the joke is, yeah. how does a Canadian answer the phone? <clears throat> Sorry, hello. Um, they, is it true? <laughs> Do they actually they apologize when they answer the phone? The phone? <laughs> 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 yep. Yeah. 
the one I had heard was how you get 1500 Canadians out of the swimming pool. You say, please get up, please get out. Of the oh. pool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Incredibly polite and figure it out. Um, I do love at the end of the Abe and Lenny and lockup that he says to Abe says to Lenny that the flowers are really nice. And we know what that means. And Lenny mm -hmm. has no clue. That's a great, right. that's a great little thing to give Abe. You know? Ugh. Yeah. <sighs> he's got soul. He does. He's just, I feel like he's just confused as to yep. where to put it. There you go. Back at the army barracks, Susie and soldiers. Susie's playing cards with a few soldiers in, in one of their bunks. <laughs> we know how that's going to go. And we soon learned that she's just killing time until Midge gets back with her outfit, her new outfit for the dance. And we go to the dance where we see Sergeant Burns again and the soldiers and the ladies. Um, and Midge and Susie size up the situation. Susie takes a swig from her shared their shared flask and begins to tell Midge she's going to manage Sophie Lennon. And this scene, it choreographed and such angst for Susie and such anger and resentment and confusion for Midge all in the midst of this dancing that doesn't stop in and around them <laughs> even all the way to the very end of it when Midge is so angry and gets sucked up into a conga line and dances the conga angrily she does <laughs> so funny yeah. so funny love 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 it and there's probably some tie-in between the dancing because the theme like the show starts with yeah. all that dancing the unison dancing and then the end it's more of like a chaotic sort of yeah socialized some social dancing and then there's some there's some thematic oh, tie yes. in there i think the the, the aforementioned yeah. wraparound yeah, it's mm. um, it's a mm. lovely trick they've played with us, haven't they? But there is one more scene, and it's just mm. the New York City precinct oh, right. lockup. Um, right. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the the choreography is so delicious that um, we do get a sense of, oh, I see what you're doing here. Yeah, <laughs> you brought it somehow back around to uh, mm -hmm. men in uniform and women dancing um, and great choreography, but also woven in this angry argument and great, great, great performances from Alex and Ra Rachel once again, yeah. standing their oh, ground gosh. and how vulnerable Susie has to be, but also stand her ground. Yeah, and I guess in the beginning, it's all on the stage, the dancing's all on the stage, and they're observing it in a way, and then at the end, they're now inside that yeah. world. Yeah, the and world imagine the, 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 the amount of rehearsal, because they, they have to portray yeah. this argument that is oblivious to all the dancing, even though Midge kept getting swept mm -hmm. up in it. Um, yeah. It, it, it's never her idea. Hey, I want to dance. <clears throat> right. Um, She'd much rather continue the intense argument. And when to bring them her back in? Oh, oh, oh. watch that one a few mm -hmm, times. Mm -hmm. 
But our final scene is a New York City precinct lockup. Abe descends the stairs to discover that Rose bailed him out. He's not ready to leave just yet, though, and we quickly see why. Lenny descends the same stairs and discovers that it was Abe that bailed him out. This world is getting smaller while the Maisel universe is expanding. And it's also very brilliantly written, performed, lit, captured, sound recorded, costumed, production designed, choreographed, post-produced, and scored. Yep, folks, soup to nuts or ovum. Soup to ovum. This show is spectacular. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, it took that me was a second. Sorry, wordplay. That's good. Um, uh, but it seemed inappropriate in this yeah. woman-eccentric story, and and serving. Uh, but yeah, yeah, every single aspect and department uh, represented in yet another episode where so much is going on. And again, there's, as we talked at the beginning, there's that challenge. We're going to start a new season. We need to remind everyone <clears throat> in episode one, we're not fucking around. Right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And right, we're in for the right. Like I wanted to just keep, I mean, I watched them all. And then when I rewatched this one, I was like, oh no, I want to keep watching. I need to know. I'm just, I'm in, yeah. I'm in again. I love that about it. I'm invested. I'm in. I need to know what happens. I care about these people. Yes. Mm. Well, I can't thank you enough. I've certainly taken up oh, thank more you. than this enough time than I uh, asked for or deserved. Um, un unless oh. there's anything at all you would like to add to the conversation. No, I don't. Thank you for for inviting me to do this. I hope I didn't oh, mess it no, up. Impossible, <laughs> impossible. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> I I hope they don't keep us apart next time we're working on the same project. Yes, I, I am such a fan, and uh, great, oh, great, likewise, great job, as always. And um, and for my needs, perfect addition today to the to the proceedings. Oh, great! Thank you. Good. Yes, there you go. That was part two with my conversation with Katrina Lank. Um, just delightful. I adore her. Um, and I hope you enjoyed our, our uh, breaking down of the season three opener into two parts. Thank you for, again for your patience for that. And thank you for all your comments and emails to my Mrs. Maisel Pod at gmail.com. As threatened, here is one of your emails. You know, as I go through them now, I realize I haven't made enough notes and kept a proper file as to which e email I've answered. I meant to, I started to keep that file, but then too many times I was pressured with time being out of it and suddenly had to look up an email real quick to answer while I was recording uh, mine. This might be one of them, I don't know. I really don't know, but we're gonna press on. Write to me at mymrsmazelpot at gmail.com and let me know if I already answered this one from Amy. Hello, Amy writes, 
Really enjoying the pod. I listen on a little app called Double Pod, as I have an Android and I hate the ridiculous ads on Spotify. I'm a longtime Gigi fan and anything A&D are up to. So a question that came to mind for me is, what is it like being directed by Amy versus Dan? Thank you for sharing and putting this together, Amy. Well, there was no last name included. Um, I'm going to assume this was not an email from Amy Sherman Palladino trying to catch me. Pretty safe assumption. Amy, uh, Amy versus Dan, uh, what's it like being directed? So I feel like this might have been answered within the context of a few conversations, but just in case. And again, I apologize if I already brought up this email and, and answered it properly. Um, I would say that, and, and the other actors have commented about this too, getting a laugh or, or whatnot from Dan was always tougher than Amy. Amy was uh, not an easy laugh by any means, but, but a little bit easier than Dan. And, and you know, we're children, the, the artists uh, playing in the, in the playpen, the playground, all the playpens, um, on every set I get it's more like a playpen than anything so we're we're trying to get mommy and daddy to like us and like what we do look at look what I can do right that's somewhere buried deep in all the artists so if they are mother and father although in Amy's case she's everything you know um the 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 word on Dan is that he's a little uh close uh, tight vested, closed vested. What's the vest term? Write to me at my Mrs. Mesa Pot at gmail.com and let me, let me know. Tight vested keeps his thoughts uh, inside, doesn't share a lot. So that would probably be the biggest difference um, between the two of them. If there's any quelling to be done, it's from Amy. Um, but there is a sense, absolutely, that we are loved by both. While we're working with each, there is a sense of, of absolute, genuine love and respect. So in that regard, they're not different at all. Um, in terms of their styles, I would say that Amy, as you've heard, is pretty much, that was great, let's try it again. Until she gets it. And maybe Dan's similar, but also, I'll tell you what, let's try this, he might say on occasion, where I, I almost never heard that from Amy. Um, I didn't hear much from Dan, but again, I'm, I'm, you may sense I'm, I'm reaching for a difference between them. Their personalities are, are quite different, but they've been together so long right, that the creative process ends up being pretty similar. But overall, and especially in their style and the way they set up shots, and there's a, there's a rhythm and a, a similarity between them for sure. And then the actual doing of it, um, they also share the um, say less to the actors. Uh, I, I sensed a little more playfulness from Amy, between herself and the 
and, and David Mullen or some of the crew. But they both got along with the crew so well in their own way, so exceptionally well. So uh, there you go. There's my long-winded way of saying um, very little. But thank you, Amy, for your email, and thank you all who write into the show. It is greatly appreciated. Um, so, yeah, we'll see you uh, next week. Uh, the return of Marn Hinkle. I'm very excited for that. She and I will break down Season 3, Episode 2. Until then, I'll see you in my dreams. Please be kind to each other. That's all I ask. <laughs> Okay, closing credits time. My Mrs. Maisel pod was created by me, your host, Kevin Pollack, research writer, producer, Jamie Fox, and our engineer, recording, post-production producer genius is Ken Plume. My Mrs. Maisel pod is brought to you by the fine folks at Q-Code. Q-Code. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Oh, lastly, you should know... I'm told by legal to make this crystal clear that my Mrs. Maisel pod was not sanctioned in any way, shape, or form by Amazon Prime, nor the show's creators, Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, although I feel the need to mention I did get their blessing. Okay, good. That should save me some legal.
Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalley. And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to Counterclock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.